chapter number 2, Proverbs chapter number 2. It's a blessing to be with you tonight in the house of the Lord. And uh, isn't it good? I appreciate what Brother Fred said. Man, it's good to be able to gather with God's people. And uh, I gain encouragement just coming in the door, just seeing God's people here, knowing they've come ready with their hearts open to the truth of the Word of God. That's exciting. That's the kind of conditions God can start speaking to hearts in. Amen. And so I'm excited that you're here tonight, excited for what the Lord is going to do. Proverbs chapter number 2, and we're going to re- read the entirety of this chapter, which if you've got a old Schofield Bible like mine, is just about one column of reading. It's not very lengthy, uh, but we, if the Lord will help us tonight, want to use all of it in the preaching of the Word of God. Proverbs chapter number 2, verse number 1, the Word of God says this, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous, he is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. When wisdom entereth into thine heart and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh froward things, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and they froward in their paths, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger, which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death and her paths Unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. That thou mayest walk in the way of good men, and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time you've given us. Thank you for the precious truth of your word. Lord, may we, may we esteem it as a valuable thing. Lord, may we, may we value it far above diamonds and gold and ruby and silver. Lord, may we see it as the very word of life that can impart life into our life, that can make ours a life worth living. Help us to embrace it. Help us to obey it. Help us, Lord, to, to follow it. Help us to pursue after it. And Lord, help us in finding the truth of it to find more of you, more of your character, more of your goodness and grace. And we'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Wisdom is the key thought, the key theme behind this book. It's fascinating when you think about the three little books that the wisest man that ever lived, other than the Lord Jesus, uh, the, the three things that he wrote about. Uh, one was a book, Laying Up Wisdom. That's the book of Proverbs. Another was a love story between him uh, and a woman that was in his life, one of his wives. Uh, sadly, with uh, all of the wisdom that he didn't have, he didn't have enough sense to not marry a bunch of women at the same time. Amen. And that uh, wound up being his downfall. Uh, but in that little letter, we have a, a beautiful picture of the love between Christ and His church. And then, of course, one... Uh, is a lamentation of the misery of the human experience. The book of Ecclesiastes, 
Uh, it is a lamentable book. It is a sorrowful book. It is a depressing book because it shows us man's existence without God. And it's fascinating to think about the three paths that wisdom uh, has the, the possibility to take in our life. Some men uh, in pursuing after wisdom wind up in misery. Some people in pursuing after wisdom, they find wisdom. Uh, some people, and I like this thought, in pursuing after wisdom, they find him that is the author of all wisdom. And that's what the book of Song of Solomon reminds me. The pursuit of wisdom is not wisdom for wisdom's sake. It is not the accruing and laying up of, of cold facts, nor is it merely the laying up of better strategies for walking through this life. But the reason we seek after wisdom is to know Him that is the source of all wisdom. And the book of Proverbs, I think, discloses this beautifully to us. Uh, the opening chapter tells us who penned it, tells us why he penned it. It's sad to say, but the wisest man that ever lived wrote a whole book so that his son Rehoboam uh, would not walk into foolishness. And exactly what Rehoboam did was he walked into foolishness. Can I say a word of encouragement to parents tonight and grandparents and great-grandparents? Uh, you can have all the right stuff and you can give it to your kids. They're still human beings. They still make their own choices. Uh, and I think that Rehoboam's life is a good example of that. He wasn't lacking in wisdom. He had wisdom, but he chose to turn away from it. And so Solomon reveals the purpose in writing the book of Proverbs in chapter number 1. And then in chapter number 2, he exhorts his son once again uh, to pursue after wisdom and to make wisdom a main priority in his life. I feel like this is one area that modern society gets woefully wrong. We have prioritized all the wrong things. We have prioritized material wealth. And I don't think God's against material wealth, but material wealth can be taken from you in a moment. We have prioritized good health. I mean, not all of us have, but some folks out there have prioritized good health. And I, I'm not against that. I mean, I think that's a good thing. Our, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Some of us, we just got more square footage than other folks. Amen? But, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with wanting to take care of the temple God has blessed you with. And certainly it's easy for me to joke about now as a younger person, uh, when you don't even, even when you make bad decisions as far as your health, you really don't feel them. I probably won't be singing that tune here in another 30 years if I make it that long. Uh, but at the end of the day, your health can be robbed from you. You can go down to the hospital and find plenty of people uh, that are dying of perfectly good health, except for one or two things that have catastrophically transpired in, in the well-being of their health and their body. Uh, we prioritize a lot of things, education, but the education we prioritize, uh, it's as fleeting as wealth is. It changes from moment to moment. The Word of God prioritizes a number of other things, and amongst them is this topic of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to have the mind of God about a matter. Wisdom is the, we might say, the godly usage of facts and of knowledge. Uh, it's not just, just basic academic, uh, you know, uh, excelling, but rather it is the ability to take what we know and to use it in a godly manner in a way that makes us look like Christ. The phrase wisdom or the idea of wisdom is laid alongside another phrase that we find in the book of Proverbs that is deeply important, not just to the book of Proverbs, but to the Word of God uh, throughout, and that is the phrase, the fear of the Lord. Uh, we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That until we learn that God is a holy God, and until we learn that God deserves our respect and God deserves our reverence, God deserves our devotion, our dedication, until we learn that God is worthy, we will not gain wisdom. And in that endeavor, the uh, writer of the book of Proverbs lays out for us what we might title, and we're going to title it this tonight, is the way of wisdom. 
He has given some opening thoughts about wisdom in chapter number one. But in chapter number two, he's doubling down. I don't know. I mean, he does disclose new things to us relative to chapter one. But I don't think that's really Solomon's intent. I think Solomon's intent is to say, I've told you some things about wisdom in chapter number one. And now, Rehoboam, I'm exhorting you to do these things to make wisdom a priority in your life. Before we get into the message, let me just say that God's people would be better served if we'd make wisdom a priority in our life. I'm saying, I want to know the mind of God, I want to know the will of God, and I want to know how God expects me to live. Because I believe God knows better how to live than I know. And I believe if I can live the way God wants me to live, I believe I'll be the better for it. So there are basically three sections that I want us to look at here tonight. Uh, The first is the receiving of wisdom. Notice what he says. Look at verse number one. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. Let me say there's a whole lot of folks out there today that are saturated, inundated with opportunities to have wisdom, but they won't receive it. Uh, That's been one of the great struggles when I was a youth pastor in dealing with young people. So often you would be telling them things that really, if if 40-year-old them was standing there, they'd pay a million dollars to have that kind of wisdom and counsel and advice. Not necessarily because it's deep and profound, but because it's meaningful and relevant to their life. Uh, But, you know, 14-year-old them just has no value for it. And and you're giving them wisdom, but they will not receive wisdom. Uh, Let me say as a pastor, there's been to my heartbreak a great many times when I've tried to give some wisdom to people. And it's not my wisdom. It's not like I just sit around coming up with witticisms to give people. It's things from the truth of the Word of God, but they will not receive that. See, wisdom won't do us any good if we won't receive it. There are a great many fools walking around in the world today that grew up in houses of wisdom. But they chose to reject the wisdom that was given them, and instead they received foolishness. Well, what does he say? What is the the receiving of wisdom? Or how do we receive wisdom? Well, I think he gives us three things. Look at verse number 2. He says, Receive, thou, uh, my son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou... He says, if you do that, this is what will happen, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart... To understanding. Let me say number one, there must be an embrace of wisdom. An embrace of wisdom. He says you have to incline your ear. Now what does that mean? Uh, you may have, I don't know, I, don't, I hope nobody pays attention to me when singing's going on. But I hope you're paying attention to the Lord and paying attention to Brother Carey. But you might have looked up and I, I leaned down to my little boy and I was telling him he better mind uh, when we went handshaking time, you know, they all gather at the door and it's like Lord of the Flies. They just all the kiddos are excited, they go crazy. And I was telling him don't throw things, don't hit nobody, don't wrestle, don't roughhouse, don't, don't run, don't, you know, 60 million different rules. But I, I, that whenever he answered back to me, I, I leaned down so that I could hear his little voice. You know why I did that? Because I realized I needed to hear what he was going to say. Uh, the days of taking for granted what might come out of his mouth are gone. There is no telling. And, and you know this is true as well. I mean, with anything, when you lean down, when you incline your ear, you are giving precedence and priority to what's being told you. And you are declaring implicitly that you have a need of that knowledge. 
That's why you're leaning down. It is an admission that it is important enough to you and you are so in need of what's being spoken that you will inconvenience yourself, you will displace yourself from your normal position and you will move closer because it is that important to you. You will imposition yourself in the pursuit of gaining what is being spoken. God says that needs to be our attitude about wisdom. We need to acknowledge and recognize that we need wisdom. I'll tell you that number one reason that people remain foolish is because they've not been convinced they need wisdom. They think they know everything. One of the passages that has always astounded me in the book of Proverbs, I think in fact I've mentioned it a time or two in sermons here lately, uh, Solomon goes down a big long list of how, how worthless and hopeless a fool is. How that you can't do nothing with a fool, you can't teach them anything, you gotta beat them if you want them to learn anything, how that they just live these miserable, wretched existences, how that they're constantly causing problems for themselves, and they can't seem to find a way out of them. And he goes down about 15 verses of all the problems with a fool, and then he backs up and he says this, he said, if you see a man that's wise in his own conceit, there's more hope of a fool than there is of that man. In other words, with all the awful things I've said about a fool, that fool's in better shape than a man that's wise in his own conceit. Why is that? Because he does not recognize that he needs wisdom. He thinks he's got everything he needs. We have to embrace wisdom. We have to recognize, hey, listen, we don't know everything. We have to recognize we do need the mind of God. We do need the help of God. We do need the Word of God. We don't have this thing by the tail. We don't have it all figured out. If God doesn't help us, hey, we'll make a mess of our lives. So Solomon encourages his son to embrace wisdom. He says, apply thine heart to understanding. Isn't that interesting? You've got understanding, but you have to apply your heart to understanding. There are some things that we know on paper, but we don't know in practice. There are things I could move around the room and ask just as a general quiz question, you know, things about whether this or that is right. I'll give you an example. We could we could go around the room. If it was a Sunday morning, I'll, I'll pick on the Sunday morning crowd because they ain't never here on Wednesday to defend themselves, are they? I could go around the room on Wednesday night or on Sunday morning and I could say, is the house of God important? And everybody would say, yes. I could say, are there better things to do on a Wednesday night than be in the house of God? And they'd all say, no, preacher, that's the most important thing. They'd give me all the right answers, but they ain't here tonight. We know it on paper. And I'm not saying that the knowledge of it on paper is disingenuous. I'm not saying they don't have understanding. I'm saying they're not applying their heart to understand. They know it's right, but they're not letting it sink in. We've got to embrace wisdom. Look at verse 3. He says, yea... If thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding. By the way, don't dismiss that word yea there. Uh, He is connecting those two thoughts. He's saying, uh, incline thine heart unto understanding, apply thine heart to wisdom. Yes, do these things. And if you do, you'll cry after knowledge and you'll lift up your voice for understanding. We've got to inquire after wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come from the preacher. Wisdom doesn't come from the Sunday school teacher. Now, they might be the conduit through which God dispenses that wisdom, but it does not come from those people. It comes from the Lord. And so if we want wisdom, you know what we have to do? We have to ask God for it. We have to ask God for it. The Bible says that if there's any amongst us that lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Wisdom ought to be on our prayer list. God, help me know how to live. 
There ain't a one of us that doesn't come upon decisions day in, day out in our life. Some of them we anticipate and some of them we see coming a mile away. But then there's others of us that big, important decisions arise at a moment's notice and we have to know what to do. And the only way we're going to have the wisdom is to inquire after it, pray for it, seek after it. You see, if you embrace wisdom and if you recognize you have a need for wisdom, uh, chances are, if you believe in prayer, you're going to start praying for wisdom. It's interesting because how did the wisest man that ever lived, and in fact the very man that is pinning the, the passage that we're reading tonight, how did he get his wisdom? God appeared to Solomon and said, Solomon, I'll give you anything that you want. Uh, you name it. You ask for it. You've got a, a blank check with God's name on it, Solomon. And Solomon said, I don't want wealth. I don't want, I don't want prosperity. I don't want power. I don't want military prowess. He said, I need wisdom, God. He said, I'm a child. I don't know how to go out or come in before this great congregation of people. In other words, he was saying, I don't know how to lead Israel. I don't know what to do. I don't know the answer. He said, the only way, Lord, is if you give me wisdom. So he asked God for wisdom. And guess what? God gave to all men liberally. He gave to Solomon liberally. He didn't upbraid him. In fact, you know what God did? God gave him wisdom and then gave him all those other things too. There's a lot to be said for the keys that uh, wisdom are the kingdom to. But that aside, I'd just point out that wisdom was what he asked for. And now he's telling his son Rehoboam, Rehoboam asked for wisdom. Rehoboam's great failure was that he was wise in his own conceit. When he ascends the throne, uh, the kingdom, it's illustrious, it is, it's wealthy, it's powerful, it's bigger than it's ever been, but it was also in debt. And uh, they came to, to Rehoboam and said, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this mess? And uh, how, how are we going to right the ship, so to speak? And Rehoboam, he had a couple choices. The old men that had served with Solomon came to him and said, you know, your daddy was wise and your daddy was a good king, probably the greatest king, Rehoboam. But if he had one mistake, it was that he overburdened the people. He overtaxed the people. And Rehoboam, if you will just simply uh, ease their burden, lighten their load, lower these taxes, you'll have them for the rest of your life. They'll, I mean, you'll have their heart, Rehoboam, and you can do anything you please. He kicked them old men out and he gathered some of his young men that he had grown up with, his peers in with him. And they said, man, those guys don't know what they're talking about. You need to double down, Solomon. You need to double down. You need to tell them, my father chastised you with whips. I'll chastise you with scorpions. And that's what Rehoboam did. And he split that kingdom wide open. You know who he didn't talk to? It's good that he talked to the old men. He should have listened to them. It's good, or it's bad that he talked to the young men, or at least it's bad that he took their counsel, because that made a mess for him. But you know who he didn't talk to? He didn't talk to God. He never prayed about it. Hey, there might have been times throughout... Let's give Rehoboam a little bit of a break here. There might have been times throughout Israel's history that the advice the young men gave him would have been the right advice. It's easy, 2020, uh, hindsight is always 2020. It's easy to look back and to throw down on those young guys and the counsel they gave. There are times that would have been the right counsel. At this time, the counsel of the old men was the right counsel. But the truth is, only God knew what the right path was. Solomon, when he listened to God, when he sought God, he did well. When he dismissed God, disregarded God, that's when he did bad. We've got to inquire after wisdom, pray, ask God. I'll tell you, I don't know why it is, I guess my flesh, but one of the hardest things for me to do is to ask God's opinion about something that I don't think I need it for. And I have that happen fairly often, if I'm just being frank with you. There's plenty of times that I'm leaning under my own wisdom. 
It's interesting, by the way. I, I, I sort of jumped past this, but I'm going to walk back and pick it up. He says in verse number 2, Incline thine ear unto wisdom. Lean towards wisdom is what he says. In chapter number 3, he said this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. What does it mean to embrace wisdom and to inquire wisdom? It means to lean off of your own understanding and on to God's understanding. It means to not take for granted that you know the right answer. That's leaning under your own understanding. But instead, lean on to God's understanding, His wisdom, and assume that God knows more than you do. Because guess what He does? He does. Inquire after wisdom. Then look at verse 4. He says, If thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures. Part of receiving wisdom is we've got to esteem wisdom. We've got to value it. I'll tell you this, man, if I told you there was a, a big old bag full of silver coins buried somewhere out in what little green area that we have out here, and that it was free to anybody that wanted to take a shovel and go out and dig it up, worth thousands and thousands. If I told you there was a little bag of diamonds buried somewhere here on the property, worth hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, and it's free to anybody that wanted it, uh, all you had to do was go get a shovel, there'd be, you'd be beating a path to Home Depot right now. You'd come back, you'd stay here. I mean, it don't matter how cold it is. You'd have hot coffee out there. You'd be digging. It don't matter if that ground's frozen. You'd do whatever it took to get to it because we value those things. And imagine how life-changing that would be. If you could just get just a little bag of diamonds, I'm talking about no bigger than the the cup of my hands here, full of diamonds, it would change your life and your kids' lives and your grandkids' lives. It would change everything. If you get just a little bit, it wouldn't take much. While you'd pursue after that, you'd dig till your hands were bloody because the way it could change your life. God said wisdom is more valuable than that. Man, there's been plenty of people that have had diamonds like what I just spoke about and died miserable and unhappy and died with their kids and their family in a mess and died and left it all to nobody because they didn't have nobody worth leaving it to because they had all that wealth but no wisdom. I'm not against wealth. I'm saying wisdom is more valuable than wealth is. And God's saying if we had the same obsessiveness, pursuit after it tomorrow morning. Listen, I'll say this, and I don't mean this in an ugly spirit. I, I promise you, Lord knows my heart, and I hope you do too. But there are people that are not here tonight because they have to get up early tomorrow morning. They're not here tonight because they have to get up early tomorrow morning. That's between them and God, it ain't between them and the pastor. But why, why did they make that choice? I'm not saying they need to call in sick tomorrow. I'm not saying they don't need to go to work. But I'm saying they have a priority list. And they said, I have to be at work. And I cannot stay up late. I'm not going to lose the sleep. So I'll miss Wednesday night prayer meeting to be at work on Thursday morning. Why did they do that? Well, because their job pays them a paycheck. And again, I'm not... Please understand. People have to make money. They have to make paycheck. The Bible even says, if a man won't work, uh, he ought not eat. Amen. I, I'm not, I'm not criticized, but I'm just saying our value system. Our value system. It is taken for granted that they gotta be there to make that paycheck tomorrow. It is taken for granted that they can't live without that paycheck, uh, which is really worth less than silver or precious, uh, hid treasures. Amen. We ain't even on the gold standard anymore. It ain't really worth nothing. It's a promise from the government. Amen. Ask the Indians how that worked out, but the, uh, But I'm saying that it tells you something about the value system. Now, again, I'm not suggesting they shouldn't be at work. I'm not. I'm just saying, imagine how our lives would be different if we valued wisdom that that much. 
Imagine how our life would be different if we valued wisdom. If we looked at it and said, man, I've got to be in the house of God. I need some wisdom. I need to hear from heaven. I need to hear from the Word of God. I've got these other things going on, but I, uh, they're not as important as hearing from God because I've got a week ahead of me where I've got to make decisions and I've got to live for God and I've got to parent my kids and I've got to influence my grandkids and I've got to lead my family and I've got to help my spouse and I need the wisdom of God. Imagine how our lives would change if we esteemed wisdom that way. So I see the receiving of wisdom. Look at verse number 5. If you've done all this, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. And I like this phrase, find the knowledge of God. Find the knowledge of God. Now, does that mean knowledge about God? Does it mean knowledge from God? I believe it means probably both those things. But I want to say a word about the resource of wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? I realize that whenever Solomon pinned this down, there was not a New Testament church. Worship was done at the temple, and uh, you wouldn't gather necessarily. Uh, they did have the uh, the synagogues, or in the temple itself, they gather and hear uh, the Old Testament scriptures expounded. But it wasn't like it is today, where you go to church on a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and preachers going to get up and preach a message and have an invitation and hear hear wisdom and hear truth and hear things that hopefully, Lord willing, will apply to our lives. So Solomon says, if you want to find the knowledge of God, here's where you find it. And I want you to notice some things. Look at verse number 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom. If you want wisdom, where does it come from? Well, the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of His mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Now, I'm going to say a word here in a moment about the Word of God. I'll just go ahead and just show my hand there. I'm going to say a word about the Word of God. But before I get there, let me say this, that much of the wisdom we need will come out of a consistent relationship and fellowship with the Lord. Now, here in a moment, I think he deals with some things that suggest the written Word of God. But I don't even believe that's what's referenced here in verse 6, saying if you want wisdom, you've got to ask of God. You've got to talk to the Lord. You've got to pray. You've got to commune with God. And you've got to listen to the Holy Ghost as He leads you. Because the Lord giveth wisdom, and out of His mouth cometh understanding. I'll go ahead and tell you, listen, I believe in some sense the Bible deals with everything, either in principle or in particular. But I will admit to you, there will be a great many decisions you make in your life, some of them big decisions, where there will not be a chapter and a verse that you can go to that will clearly give you the right answer. Uh, Listen, you may be praying, what house do I buy? Man, I could buy this house over here. I could buy that house over there. I could buy this one in this school district, that one in that school district. And don't kid yourself for one moment. God has a will about that. And you're probably not going to be able to find a chapter and verse. Turn over to Zephaniah and read where where God says, buy the one with the blue shutters and the red front door and buy the one in that school district. How are you going to get that wisdom? How are you gonna, how are you gonna know what the will of the Lord is? You know it through prayer. You know it through listening as the Holy Spirit of God leads you. He will lead you. He will enlighten you. He will direct you in those matters. He'll, there'll be one that He'll give you peace about and one that you'll have no peace about. There'll be one that He'll show you the ways in which you can serve God better there than you could the other one. He will disclose these things. There is a revelation of wisdom. There are certain things we can only learn from a close relationship with God. But then I see the repository of wisdom. Look at verse 7. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He layeth up sound wisdom. Wonder where God has laid up. You know what it means to lay something up. It means to store it somewhere. 
We've got in our basement right now, we've got 50-something quarts of green beans that we got out of the garden and we canned and we laid those up. And they're sitting there and they're waiting on us. And we did that so that in the middle of winter, if we want garden green beans, we know where to get them. We have stored those and they are at hand's reach any time that they are needed. wonder where the Lord could have took a bunch of wisdom and stored it somewhere and laid it up for His people to be able to access it any time they could need it. This is the repository of wisdom. This is where we go. This ought to be the first place, by the way. Listen, I could pray. <laughs> Listen now, I could pray and I could say, Oh Lord, I desire green beans. I long after green beans. God, if you don't give me some green beans, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you know what I believe God would tell me? I believe He'd say, alright, go over there and grab a can off that shelf. Now, if I run out of the green beans and I got nothing else to eat, I believe God's able to drop it straight out of the sky. I believe He could drop it down the chimney if He wanted to. But why would He do that when He has already met that need with what has been laid up? There is a great many of us that are begging for God to teach us and show us and guide us. And God's saying, well, just go over to the shelf and get you a jar. It's right there. There is a repository of wisdom. We need to read it. You know, I found this to be true. It's not an either-or prospect. You know what I found very often to be the case? Very often I have found, you know, this is the sword of the Spirit. This is God's chosen choice method for communicating with His people. And I have found very often that when I'll go to the Word of God with my heart open and seeking God's mind about something, that God will take a portion of Scripture, maybe that I've never saw in this light before, but He'll take it and use it to reveal and minister truth to my heart. I'm not saying He's given me some extra scriptural inspiration or revelation. I'm not saying He's given me an extra scriptural illumination. I'm saying He's given me an intra-scriptural illumination. He's not given me something that's not in the Bible. He's given me something that is in the Bible that I hadn't ever seen before. He's able to speak through the repository of wisdom. Then notice the root of wisdom. I like this. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of His saints. The picture is of someone that has been commissioned, that has been tasked, that keeps the jurisdiction of a certain road or a certain path. Up by my house, I live in the county, and uh, you don't see a lot of, of city police officers. Uh, usually, if you see a police officer, you'll see a county sheriff's car. And uh, there's a certain stretch of the highway up and down through there, you'll see that black and tan state trooper. And that, that section of road is his responsibility. And he keeps that section of road. And his job is not to pull every single car over and tell them what the speed limit is. The speed limit is posted. But it's his job if somebody breaks that speed limit to run them down, to wrangle them down, and to, and to cause a correction. Believe me, I know from personal experience to wrangle them down and get them to drive in an appropriate way. Can I say this? There is a root of wisdom. There is a road path laid out. There is a way of living disclosed and taught and revealed in the Word of God that God does not always have to run into every decision of our life and say, do this and do that and do this and do that. He has laid out what righteousness is. He has laid out what justness is. He has laid out what separation is, what, what consecration is. And if we'll choose to live and to walk on that path, you know what He'll do? He'll keep that path. 
He'll make sure that when we're deviating from that path, He'll lead us back onto that path. And He'll make sure that that path is clear of all obstructions and cleared of all, all, all hindrances and, and all roadblocks. And all we have to do is get on the route of wisdom, the root of wisdom that we already know because the Bible teaches it and God will see to it that our way is kept clear. There's a lot of things, in other words, we don't have to pray about. There's a lot of things, I'll be honest with you, folks in this room, been in, in church, heard preaching, there's a lot of stuff not only do we not have to pray about, we don't even have to study about it to find out the right answer. There's a lot of things I could just go ahead and ask you, is this right? And you'd already know the answer to it because you've been taught the Word of God throughout your life. So what do we need to do? Well, we just need to walk the path that we know is right. And if we do that, you know, the Lord will keep that path. And then I want you to notice, and I, I'm not going to say a lot about this, but I want to mention it before we close. Look at verse 10. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul. So when you've already, you've received wisdom by this point. You understand that? You already have wisdom, and you're already in love with knowledge. Knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul. Then discretion, notice what he says, shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. Discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. Let me say a quick word in closing about the result of wisdom. The result of wisdom. In other words, by this stage in, in, in the passage, Solomon says, all right, if you've done everything I've told you, you should be at this point. You ever look at instructions to put something together, and they come in sections, you know. And they'll say step one, step two, step three. Have you ever looked at your step four and your step four did not look like the paper's step four? <laughs> well, he's going in steps here. And he's saying, all right, now you're on step four, Rehoboam. You've already listened to me. You've already embraced wisdom. You know where wisdom is found. You've embraced it. You fell in love with it. Now, Rehoboam, if you've done that, this is what you can anticipate. And he names three things. Look at verse 11 again. If you've done that, Rehoboam, discretion shall preserve thee. Understand, understanding shall keep thee. To deliver thee from the way of the evil man. From the man that speaketh froward things. Who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked. Whose ways are crooked and they froward in their paths. Let me say that wisdom will preserve you. It will preserve you. I told you a moment ago about us laying up those green beans, and uh, we did all kinds of stuff. We we did we did green tomatoes, we did okra, and we did uh, like uh, pickled spicy jalapenos and carrots and stuff called escabeche, and we did banana peppers, all kinds of stuff. And uh, it's always a waiting game when you pressure can stuff because you don't know. I mean, it's sealed, but you don't know if that sealed will hold. And so we let them sit down for about two weeks and let them settle down real good before we wanted to move them to where we were going to store them finally. And when we go through, some of those, had the seal had not held. And you could see immediately the difference. Whatever was in it, the pressure would have released and the pressure would have pushed whatever the contents were up to the very top of the jar. And those things were not preserved. And they had not been down there, I'm talking like a week. But you pop that lid, man, you knew immediately that those things had gone bad because they had not been preserved. 
the very same things, can the very same way, but the seals have held, are sitting on a shelf and they look as good as you had just sliced them, as good as you had just picked them. And I anticipate uh, that a year, two years, three years down the road, however long, we open those things up and they'll still be in good shape. They won't show the time that they've lived. That's what preserving means. It means for something to stay in a in a pristine condition. Can I tell you something? You'll see people, and, and and when you do the things that I do, when you go to hospitals and visit with folks, and when you witness to people, and, and, and some of y'all do that, some of y'all go into some places and witness to people, and you see people, uh, that it would shock you. They'll be, they'll be 25, they'll be 30 years old, and they look like they're 50 walking around. They're not very well preserved. Sin has taken its hold on them and its toll on them. And that youth and that luster and that, that beauty and that life has been squandered away already, even at a young age. By the same token, I've seen people that have committed to live their life for the Lord, and I've seen them uh, way up in years, but they look good for the age that they are, and they've taken care of themselves, and sin has not been able to damage them the way it has other people. Can I just say it this way? If you'll live your life walking in wisdom, you'll be in a lot better shape at 70. A lot better shape at 70 than a lot of folks, than any folks, will be at 40 or 50 that have lived in sin. Sin will sin has a destructive component. I'm not even talking about the spiritual. I'm talking about the physical. It has, it, it has ability to degrade our life and our character and our quality of living. Uh, you know what, what it, Solomon says to Rehoboam here? He says, listen, if you will walk in these things, it will keep you from... And it's interesting the distinction he makes. In verse number 12, he says, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man. From the man that speaketh forward things. Here in a moment he's going to talk about delivering you from a person. But here he's talking about delivering you from a path. And he's saying, you won't live like that man lives. You won't reap what that man reaps. And all of the negative things that he talks about after, he leaves the paths of brightness and he walks in the ways of darkness. He rejoices to do evil. He delights in the frowardness of the wicked. His ways are crooked. He's froward in his path. He's a crooked, gnarled, twisted soul that sin has taken and ravaged. Solomon says, Rehoboam, you don't have to live that way. I'll tell you this, one of the early steps of wisdom is recognizing how good for you wisdom is. It's one of the things our young people miss so often, is that the wisdom that people try to try to inject into their life, they're, they're injecting it into their life for one reason and one alone, because it's going to make their life better. They're trying to teach them wisdom because it's going to make their life happier. It's going to make their life better. Wisdom will preserve you. Look at verse 16. It says this, To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. The images of somebody of ill reputation and of ill intent. Uh, the uh, picture is of uh, a lewd person that seeks to ensnare and seeks to destroy another. And Solomon says, listen, if you'll apply wisdom in your heart and in your life, it'll protect you from these people. I, I want to be very careful with what I'm about to say here because heartache, ugliness, violence can happen to all sorts of people in all sorts of walks of life. You understand that? We live in a world today where you don't have to be doing the wrong thing to wind up in a mess. I recognize that. But as a general rule, how many of you ever heard your parents say this? Nothing good happens after 10 o'clock at night. You ever heard somebody say that? You know why they said that? Because they were trying to keep you out of some places 
that if you walked in those places, you were exposing yourself to danger. There are some places that a Christian ought not be. And there are some places, and again, I'm not suggesting that anybody is to blame for the violence or ugliness or acts of another person. But I am saying this, that there are some of the ugliest, most wicked, darkest, uh, evil places in this world. Places Christians have no place being. It, It will provide a safety to your life staying out of those places. And there's a lot of places, dangerous places in this world. Uh, that walking in a path that is unwise will take you. I'll tell you this, the safest way to live is to live for God. And that does not mean the devil cannot get to you. It does not mean evil cannot touch you. But there are a lot of places that a Christian simply has no place being. And there are a lot of places that if you hang around in, if you spend your time in, it'll be no surprise if evil reaches you there. Wisdom has the ability to protect you. The wisdom from your parents saying, it's not really true, by the way. There's lots of good things happen after 10 o'clock at night. It's just there's a lot of bad things happen them too. And they were saying whatever good goes on ain't worth whatever bad that you're taking a chance at. Wisdom will protect you. And finally, look at verse 20. It says this, that thou mayest walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous. Why is that? Why does Solomon want that for Rehoboam? For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. Wisdom will prosper you. It will prosper you. Solomon said, if I could sum it up, Rehoboam, the the secret to life, the secret to happiness, it's this very simply. Learn the mind of God and do it. Learn what God has for you, what God wants for you. When you have decisions that must be made, go to God. Seek His mind. Seek His will. Seek His knowledge. And in doing so, it'll provide your life more happy, more prosperous than any you could ever secure for yourself. I have to say this, just in closing. The, God has been very gracious in my life. God has protected me from a lot in my life. A lot that I didn't have sense enough to protect myself from. <clears throat> and one of those things in which He protected me was I started in ministry at a young age. I mean, I was in ministry by about 18 years old in some respect. And really, by the time I was 19, I knew that ministry was the will of God for my life, and I never really pursued after much of anything else. And that kept me from a lot of a lot of nonsense, a lot of foolishness that a lot of people get involved in and get engaged in. But I can say this honestly, man. Now, I, I, at 31, 32, 32, I'm at the place where you don't keep up anymore. Amen. I, I crossed that threshold. Uh, at 32 years old, I could not have gotten me where I'm at. As far as happiness, fulfillment, man, what what some people would call success, I could not be where I'm at. If I had made up my mind, if I at 18 years old had said, I'm going to work hard as I can to have a family and and, and home and a life and and a job and and all these things, I'm going to work hard as I can to get there by the time I'm 32. I don't think I could have got there. God has done more for me than I could have ever done for myself. And a lot of it has been simply, and I have not done it perfectly, I've not already attained, I'm not saying that I'm flawless, but I'm saying that uh, inasmuch as God in His mercy has kept me in a way of wisdom and has, has kept my path and protected me from many of the things that I would have no doubt done in my own life, that wisdom has prospered me. 
There's many in this room that say the same thing about their life. That God has done more for them than they could have ever done for themselves. That God has blessed them more than they could have ever secured themselves. And it's not an accident. It's because wisdom has the ability to prosper you. I'm not even talking about financial prosperity. I'm just talking about making your life a joy and a place of satisfaction and contentment and fulfillment. God can do more through wisdom with your life than you could ever do with yourself. We ought to walk in the way of wisdom. We ought to seek after it. We ought to pursue it. We ought to embrace it. We ought to inquire after it. We ought to esteem it as a precious thing. Let's bow together tonight.